Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to brentwoodchurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. And not one of them is forgotten by your father. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. So fear not, for you are worth far more than many sparrows. Luke 12, 6 and 7, right? Jesus is talking in this place to his disciples. And he goes back to this place in Genesis 1 that speaks about all of our humanity. And today we're going to dive into the scriptures and we're going to talk just about two verses. And it's going to define everything you believe about every single person around you. Look around. Look around. Get awkward. See? See everybody? The ones you chose to sit next to and the ones that were made to sit next to you? See, every one of them, you believe something about them today. So this whole message, this whole teaching today, we're, we're teaching part two of Wonderfully Made. John opened up last week, uh, and, and then he'll finish next week too here. Uh, this whole series is recounted in what Jesus says in Luke 12. He says, your heavenly father knows every single detail about you. He knows how many breaths. He knows how many muscles. He knows how many hairs, even how awkward that is. He put them there. And you know everything that God has intended for you by searching after him. He hasn't forgotten you. No matter what place you come into in here today, he has never forgotten you. He knows everything about you and wants to reveal that to you. Okay, so last week John started opening up, you guys, amazing, amazing message. Uh, Psalm 139 you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are each uniquely and precisely made. And then he goes into, you guys ever heard the story of David used like that? David and Goliath? We're looking at this, the, the armor that Saul gave to David. And he said, no, this is not me. This instead, this is me. I'm a shepherd. I will approach this as God made me. And then he gets victory, right? And then this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be made in the image of God. And then next week, John's going to follow up and talk about a little bit more practical uh, from the New Testament about how we're all designed, how we're all designed to be living from here on forward, okay? So we're going to see, we're going to open up the notes, my notes, and we're going to see where it all leads us together. And I don't know yet. No, it's not true. Uh, I know where I think we're going, but hopefully we'll go somewhere that God intends even better um, as we go along, okay? You guys can we do that? First two verses. The only two verses we're getting to today start Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And this is a message. This is a message. And this verse, this whole thing is about anthropology. Not that anthropology. The study of mankind. Okay, so put all, ladies, put that to the side. You can look up why in the world. I looked on the website. I have no idea why it's called anthropology. It has nothing to do with the study of mankind. Maybe you can inform me later. I am ignorant in that area and I need help. Uh, but this, this whole verse, these two verses, and this whole thing today is about the study of mankind. What do you believe it means to be human? Everybody in here is a human being. Right? No centaurs got in during worship, right? You didn't hear the clapping of hooves. No mermaids wiggled in. No, maybe back there. Um, nobody came in here that isn't human today. Even the miniature versions. I saw a couple of those squished down into a little baby ball. And they're in here today. Every single one of them made in the image of God. And this whole teaching is going to discover, like, God, what is it about us that makes us human? What is it 
that you have designed within each of us that makes all human beings different than the rest of creation. Uh, One person that got this really right, uh, which is not that surprising, but C.S. Lewis, uh, in his his address, a sermon that begins and then got printed in the book, the same title, called The Weight of Glory. If you've read The Weight of Glory, it's this treatise on what does it mean to be human with the possibility of a future eternal hope living with Jesus Christ forever? That is a massive weight to carry now. It is the weight of glory, the weight of potential glory. So in this sermon, in this, in this, uh, he starts talking about human beings. He said, if we truly are created to live in relationship with God and that in the end we can become people that have this glorified being and glorified presence with him, that means a lot for right now. This is, this is what he says. He gets it right. He says, um, it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. Now, this is C.S. Lewis, so check into your uh, deep literature reading here. In the light of these overwhelming possibilities of future glory, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, and all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, we work with, we marry, we snub, we exploit. C.S. Lewis, he got to this point where he started understanding humankind to not just being another person you run into in the Lynchburg subway or not just another person that you run into at work or the grocery market, but every single person, every single person you run into is far more than ordinary. No one you have ever met is a mere mortal. And that is, goes all the way back to Genesis 1 at its foundation. So how do we get this far? How do we get this far that we look at to see the teachings of Moses and say, yeah, but I, I'm at the point now where I don't consider everybody that. I don't have the brain power or, or the time to consider everybody's humanity I run into. I'm just trying to get from point one to point B. No, A to B, one to two. I'm just trying to get there. And, and yet, there are 1,200 people that you could possibly interact with at all sites of Brentwood Church this weekend. You guys know there's almost 7.2 billion people on the earth right now? And conservative estimates say around 50 billion people total have ever lived on this planet. You know what? You didn't come in here thinking about them today. I know you didn't. You came in here thinking about yourself. So did I. God, teach me about me and, and maybe those that you're responsible for. And, and maybe the ailing mother or maybe the little brother that's still looking up to you and you're, and you're thinking, ah, just live your own life, but I'm responsible. I should help him out. Or maybe the people around the world that you're thinking, ah, we should be obligated to provide some clean water. That's what we should do as humans. But man, I got my own stuff, my own problems, right? You come in here wondering a lot of stuff about yourself today. And then we just call that humanity. That's just where we are. If we always lived in perfect unison of what God wanted us to do with all 7.2 billion people in the world, you would be Jesus. You're not. Instead, we come in here with a lot of wonderings about ourselves and about our small circle of influence saying, God, tell me, just tell me what it is. What do you have for me today? 
what is it, what is it here? Because I'm suffering and I have my things. And that's what I want to talk about as we roll in here. Uh, this comes at a really interesting time for me because here's the thing. Uh, I had a baby three weeks ago. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And before you women start correcting me that I didn't have a baby, let me just tell you something. Okay? <laughs> Nobody prepares dads for the emotional toll of the delivery room. Okay? Tim Sally, this is for you. Uh, first time dads, this is for you guys. Okay? Nobody prepares dads for the emotional toll of this place. It, like, you know where this story is going to end. My three-year-old baby's in the back with Rachel. Jude, he's here. And so you know that there's a baby at the end of this story. And so when I'm teaching about, and John approached me and said, hey, I want you to talk about what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's a really fun, interesting time for me. Because when you look at a baby, you see something precious until it opens its mouth. And then you see this wonderful, beautiful creature that God designed and made. And it's so easy to see in the creature that, man, God is glorified. God made that thing, that human, that flesh ball to do something that he has designed in it to do. So we get to this point a couple weeks ago. Uh, Rachel looks at me on a Saturday morning. I wake up. She's like, I've been counting tractions for three hours. And you guys know the male responsibility, right? What is it? Get her, get her to the hospital if you choose to go that route. Or get her into the tub in your living room if you choose to go that route. Whatever your, whatever your thing is, that's fine. Um, for us, get her to the hospital, right? Uh, that's my role. That's all I've been told. Get there and then coach and help. And love, but just get her there or else you're going to be taking on much more of the role that you really want to do. Okay, so I'm in this place where I click in and then it just goes away, you know, because that's how God designed it. And so we go through a whole afternoon, finally get to the afternoon. Rachel is amazing with pain and she looks at me and she's like, I'm going to go lay down and start counting again. Doesn't click into me. Uh, a couple hours later, she comes, she's like, it's time to go to the hospital. So what I do? I did my role. I did my responsibility. I got her to the hospital. We're 10 minutes away, so 3.40, we roll into the hospital. Um, get her out, run her down the hill, get her inside. Uh, she gets upstairs, and things start happening quicker, right? Four o'clock. Started getting to 4.15. And look at the nurse, and I say, we should probably get that epidural. We should probably get that as soon as we can. Her face looks like she would ask for it if she could talk right now. So let's get that epidural. So they say, okay, there's three babies coming at the exact same time right now. They're all responsible to your midwife. She has to deliver all these, and so we'll figure it out. But she's number two in line. It's going to come. So we had a plan. The whole plan was get her there quick enough so that the epidural can happen. Because the only thing we didn't want to happen was for her to get there in time where the epidural could not happen. And God, in his infinite wisdom, brings about this time clock that just keeps going. Okay, we're, we're progressing. We're getting there. All of a sudden, it's 4.45. Okay, it doesn't look like a cart's coming in right now, but her face looks like she's in a lot of pain. And I'm putting two and two together. She's got her eyes closed. This is, this is where it comes in the dad part. And I'm realizing all of a sudden that the nurse that was behind me in her deepest moment of pain, I'm looking at her thinking, this might be time. I turn around. The nurse up behind me is no longer there. And if you've ever been to Virginia Baptist Hospital, you know this. There's two different places. There's the mother, uh, the mother baby, which is basically a glorified hotel. It's really awesome. They bring you food and all kinds of stuff. That when you have the baby, you finally get moved there. And this is a beautiful place full of cherubs and music and all that stuff. But there's the war room filled with soldiers ready to do work at any moment. And that's labor and delivery. Okay, so you could go into the hallway when you're in mother baby and there would be nobody there. And that's fine. 
they're kind of doing their thing, holding babies, walking around, doing all the thing. But you could go into the war room and you go into the nurse's station. There's 25 monitors around, all tracking everything in the hospital. If anything goes wrong, you have 50 foot soldiers that run in your room to fix it. So when I was there looking at my wife thinking, this might be time. And I turn around, I see nobody. I freaked out. And I went out to the hallway and guess what? Ghost town. All I could think of was, I did my part. <laughs> I got her to this hospital. You need to do your part, okay? Because uh, I'm not going to sit here in the room and have to go through this. So we get to finally 5 o'clock. They all come rushing in. 5.05, baby's there. And at the end of it all, you look and you say, I am emotionally taxed. God gives women this beautiful thing called forgetfulness with a rush of endorphins and emotions and hormones that they kind of forget what it went through. I am still scarred and I cannot unsee what I've seen. Okay. But even in my, even in my terrible opinion, in my selfish story, you get to the end and you look at this little baby and you say, Oh, my word. One, it's so tiny. And then two, like, it's made. Like, a God, our God that knows us personally designed this baby for things that we do not know yet. But it's so simple to look at this small, small baby and say, it is beautiful. It is made in the image of God. And it is glorious in that moment. It's still glorious three weeks later, but it's a lot harder. And you're looking at this baby and saying, wow, it's easy to look at that image and say, that is reflecting who our God is, even through all the trauma. You know the hardest part to look at a human being and to say, wow, that reflects the glory and image of God. You know the hardest part is? The mirror, Right? It's easy to look at a baby with no well, there's sin nature there, but there's nothing that it's done against us yet. I'm not offended by it yet. It comes much out a couple hours later. And then I'm looking at the mirror in myself, and it's like I can't see through all the guilt and the shame and the things that have built up over my years to see the image of God that he designed and created me into my being. That's the hardest place for me to see God's image in my life, in the life of a human, is in the mirror. And so this comes at a really precarious time for me because I'm comparing myself to my sons and I'm saying the baby, yes, me, God, what does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of God? Because I don't care necessarily about the 7.2 billion people around the world either. But I know I should. I know God designed me to be a carrier of his glory for the rest of the world. So how do I get to the point where I understand myself and can do that around the world? Uh, it's easy to see that precious little baby. So here's, here's what we're confronted with, and we're opening up the scriptures in Genesis 1. If God designed every human being to be made in his image, the image that the little baby Jude possesses has to be similar to the image that I possess, like how God made us. That's probably similar to the image that Somali pirates possess. The people around the world, you think, man, they're so vicious. And yet God designed every human being. We said in Genesis 1. Let's jump in. Here we go. This is what it says. Then God said, on the sixth day of creation, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. Uh, keep going. 
So, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From a quick reading, you will miss most of the things that God wants us to see this morning. And that Moses is trying to weave into these two verses. So there's eight things. Try to keep with me. You might hear them all. You might not. That's fine. We're going to save the best for last. But when we get into these verses, pull, pull up that first verse again. Genesis 1.26. Uh, it is said, then God said, let us make man in our image. Man, male and female. This is what he's saying at this point. He makes Adam here. But then uh, Eve is also made in the image of God. She's made out of Adam, who's made out of the image of God. We can get into that uh, if you want to on this side. But then God said, let us. You know that word us means? A lot of people in past history have thought that meant God counseled with the celestial beings or angels or somebody else and said, hey, let's, let's, make man in our image, but that is a false thing. If you bring it into today, uh, we can get to that offline too. But what Jesus is saying, or what God is saying to Jesus and the Holy Spirit here, he's saying, us in the triune God, us as a three-person God, let us make man in our image. It's crucial that we notice here that Trinity, God in three persons, we see different times in different history working differently. But here, they're all together at the moment of creation. And say, let us make man in our image. God works in perfect relationship with himself. Let that sit in. (laughs) It's hard. It's a hard truth. And he designed us in his image to follow his example. Number two, man is different than any other created being. One of the things that we see is that after, after five days, six days, God created, uh, and then he gets to this next thing. He called everything else good, and he called man the next thing he created very good. It was different. And you can even see that in the language of creation. You see that right there, the phrase, let us make man. Let us make. Every other phrase of creation, look back over Genesis 1, says, let there be. Okay? It's declarative. It's authoritative. Let there be light. Let there be vegetation. Let there be an expanse that separates this. But he says, let us make it's a consideration. One, a statement of authority. Let there be. Let, let there just be there. One, a consideration of affection that he says, let us make. Let us make. Let's do this. And it's a different, subtle variation that the Hebrew language doesn't translate super well to English. But you have to see that the readers of this text would look back and say, wow, that changes everything about how God thinks about the things he declared into being and the things he affectionately counseled into being. Man is different. And you see that right away. Uh, Keep going. When we say that God made man in his likeness or his image, it should bring up a question in your head. What is that image? What is it? Is it physical? Okay, who in here possesses the nose of God? No one is quick to jump for that one. Who, who here possesses the arms of God? That's metaphorical language. When we see the rest of scriptures, when God is given these personified traits of man, except when Jesus takes on the form of a man, this can't be physical. Is it intelligence? Who here possesses the intelligence of God? I told you, each of you are made in the image of God today. No, but we're told through other scriptures that our highest thought is still lower than his lowest thoughts. We don't have the intelligence of God. 
So what is it? What is the image? What is the likeness that we all bear? And some theologians have come up and they said, we think it's the creativity that humans possess that other creatures don't. We think it's the will. We think it's the personality. We think it's this or that, or we don't fully know. And, and, and here's what I want to give today. I want to give some clarity to that. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to leave you with a word picture that's going to help you with this. But here's what it is. It's all that and some. And here's the and some. The thing we see from these first two verses is that God created us to be in perfect relationship like he is in perfect relationship. It's a relational thing. The image of God, the likeness of God, the likeness that we have of him is that we are made like him, to be in relationship with him. And this is Genesis 1. This is before Genesis 3 ever happens when all that's broken and sin enters the world. But we are designed in the image of God. You guys, this is so crucial because if we're designed to be in relationship with him, then there's some way that we should be operating that sin has marred. We know it's not gone. One of the things we can see in Genesis 5 and Genesis 9 and then James 3, the likeness of God is still within us, but it's marred. It's changed. Because when Adam and Eve disobeyed the declaration of God to not touch, not eat, they fractured the relationship. And when sin entered our world, it has changed how the image plays out the relationship between us and God for the rest of eternity. Until one day when Jesus Christ comes again and completely reconciles it again. Okay? You see this in the first couple of verses. It's this poetic thing that plays out. And you say, wait, if God made us in the image, but then it breaks, the later in scriptures you see, especially in James 3, look up James 3 uh, on your own time, and, and you'll see. It says, in the image of God, uh, in a true likeness, in a true righteousness coming back to him. So what is it? It's the, it's the relationship. When we have a relationship with God, we're given authority and we're given the creativity that he has, personality, the will. We're demonstrating God and you only understand how somebody is in relationship with them. Okay, next, last couple things here. We understand the likeness in our quest to restore the likeness. Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine. Uh, Solomon says, all life is meaningless earlier on in the book, but he says, our likeness was created in righteousness and in true holiness with God. That relationship was right and it was truly holy when it was created. Colossians 3 and then Ephesians 4, Paul is talking to these two churches. He says, your likeness was created to be upright, to be in renewed knowledge, saying these things were how you were originally made, but it's broken. So when I ask you this question, what human being is the closest to living out the perfect image of God in their life? You should know where this heads. What human being, right? If we're made in the image of God, it was broken, and now we're all trying to figure that out. What human being in all of eternity live in the perfect human state? Jesus Christ, right? who is God that took on flesh, lived in this world. You know, Jesus Christ was the most normal human that's ever lived. You don't often think of that word normal applied to Jesus, but as we were designed to be, he was. Even the influences and temptations of sin all around him, as we were designed to be, he was. So Jesus Christ was the perfect image of Jesus Christ, of, of God, 
living on this earth. If we were to look at anything, we are to look at Jesus Christ and say, that's how we were created to be. That's who we were made. That's a normal human being. Last thing you see in this verse is that it's really powerful. Uh, When you do a word study on image and likeness, this is all building to this point. This is the best, okay? So this is it. If you don't like this, complain on your way out. Um, When you see that in verse 26 and 27, God says, let us make man in our image, in the likeness of God and created him. When Moses says that, the word that he uses and, and chose through inspiration of God for likeness and image literally translates to the word shadow. Okay. A shadow is the exact outline of what it is reflecting. A shadow cannot morph and become something different. It's an exact imitation. Jesus Christ was the exact perfect image or shadow of his father. We are created as people to be the exact image, likeness, shadow of our heavenly father. But to be honest, a lot of times we don't act like that in a marred world. I'm going to show you a little clip here, and this is going to be something nostalgic for you um, that doesn't really need a whole lot of setup. But a lot of times, instead of being the exact shadow of God, we in this broken earth, we act like this as a shadow a whole lot more. Take a look at this. Over there, Tank, and it's Dan. Is it there? Must be here somewhere. How silly is that? Peter Pan, right? You guys all know that. Peter Pan, how silly is it to watch a shadow run from its source? How crazy is that? It doesn't happen. You know the end of the story? The shadow gets sewed back onto his feet by Wendy. She becomes the hero. She helps him. He's a, he's a self-righteous little guy. Finally founds his way in life. Never grows up. But the shadow, to watch a shadow run from its source, it is a peculiar thing. Because that's not what it's supposed to do by nature. You guys, we, as people of God, have been designed in the image of God to be his shadow here on this earth while we wait for final redemption. You see, Jesus Christ, because of Genesis 1, we're all created to be his perfect relationship with him. Perfect relationship, perfect declaration of shadow to this world. But it was broken by sin. 
And now, in this marred state we currently live in, we're consistently looking and saying, where, where, where do I find my meaning? Where do I find my thing? And you guys, we take our shadows. They're supposed to only be reflected back to who Jesus Christ is. And we start applying them to all kinds of other things. Do you accept me? Is, is this right? Is this okay? Am I all right? And every time we do that, we miss the point. You know, we reflect a lot of our shadow. We look back and we say, man, do I reflect back into my family? You know, a lot of us do that. We look at our family and we say, do you accept me? Am I, am I the right type of person to fit in this family? What else do we do? Reflect back all over the place. We reflect back and say, um, dad, mom, do you accept me? Celebrities, Miley, do you accept me? Am I made in your image? Am I, am I like you? Am I okay? Can I do it? Where else do we look? We look everywhere. We look at others. And we say, man, as long as I'm not as bad as that guy or that girl, like I must be doing all right. I am who I am that way. We look at idolized self. Maybe you look in the mirror and all you can see is the future, what you should be and not who you are. And we reflect the shadow back on that and we say, am I getting there? Am I, am I okay? We look at other lowly beings. Man, I heard this excuse the other day on the radio. Somebody calls in and they're saying they had an affair and they're saying, but what can I do? I'm only, I'm only a sex crazed man. He's comparing himself to an animal basically. I, I am without decision-making power. I was in the thrones of temptation and I just gave in. What do you expect? Right? We compare ourselves to other things and say, but, but I'm okay. Or maybe a cultural idealism. Men, you were made out of a substance called bacon. You were made to have rough hair, but a smooth chin when appropriate. To look debonair, but to look strong. And to conceal your emotions in a place where only you can see. Right? This is cultural idealism. It's crap. When we reflect back, all those things are great. Those things are amazing things to use for the advantage of the kingdom. But then when they are what define us, when they are what our shadow is reflecting back to, it's sin. Moms, you need a break today? Don't compare yourself to anybody else you saw today. Take a break. Let your mind have a break. You've been working overtime doing that. Don't do it. Look back at Jesus Christ and say, how did he design me? He made me in his image. You are a precious commodity to this world. And we need you to be used so badly. Do that. And stop reflecting your shadow back on other people. Uh, when this all comes down to it, we're made in the image of God. We have the perfect example in Jesus Christ of what that really meant to be. God desires for you to live as he did. Without making a trite bracelet, you can make decisions in any moment to say, how would Jesus act in this moment? For you to look back to him and saying, what would Jesus say to this person? How would Jesus operate with the rest of the 7.2 billion people around the world? How would he care? How would he, how would he do this? Because here's the bottom line. We, as people, have value, worth, honor, not because you're beautiful, not because you're rich, not because you're handsome, because I've seen everybody that came in here, right? But why? Because you're made. You are made in the image of God to be the shadow of him to a dark world that desperately needs you.
to do that. This morning, there's this risk that when you teach about the image of somebody, uh, that we may just give this lofty ideal, and it took us a long time to get to this point. We may just give this lofty ideal that when you know what the image of God is, we're done here today. But that's not it. It, it, This is something that it changes who we are. When we know who we are, it forces us to pour out to others. That's how it's made. So there is a risk today in teaching just about this on the non-practical side. That you leave here with this really beautiful idea of what it means to be the image of God or a Peter Pan shadow running from itself. And that's the image I want you to walk away with. Instead of saying, no, 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 no. We are to be the image of God, not just for you, but for all mankind that is desperate for him to come. Uh, we're on a journey. Okay, we as Christians, last thing. Uh, we as Christians, we're on a journey to discover for a whole lifetime who we are in the reflection of Christ. This is not something you're going to get this week, but something you can make traction on. And every time you look back in the mirror, you say, God made me in his image to be a reflection of him to a dark and dying world. Let's go. You guys know who really struggles with this? The guy talking to you right now. Yeah, I have a microphone, so I'll be vulnerable. Um, I'm writing this sermon, putting this together. The whole time, people's faces keep checking into my head. This person. People in here. People in this this audience or John. I'm thinking, do they, are they going to like this? Is this going to be something they'll be inspired by? You know what I'm doing? I'm taking my shadow and placing it on each one of your faces. Something that you cannot carry the weight of. And saying, is this going to be it? Is this going to be okay? You know what? I don't care what you think. That's really helpful for me to say. You know what I care about? If God was glorified today in any truth that came out of his scripture and it pierced your heart, the scripture is what did that, not my words. If God is glorified because we tried to act like him in a situation and somebody was changed, we give all glory and honor back to him. That's the bottom line. You were designed to be like him to a dark and dying world because they desperately need you to do just that. I'm going to call a band up. Um, Our response stations are open up. Up front, we're going to sing a couple songs. Only two, so don't wait for the third. It's not happening. Uh, But if you want to come up, you want to take communion in the light of Jesus Christ, his body sacrificed and broken, poured out his body and blood on the cross. If you're a believer in Christ, we want to invite you to come and take communion. If you maybe want to write someone a piece of slip, put it on a cross and say, you know, I want to break through in this area. Maybe you want to light a candle. Maybe it's for yourself, maybe for somebody else and say, you know what? I need to win on this and I'm not going to get it today, but I'm going to make progress. Um, and then if anybody comes up front, make sure you pray over them. Nobody prays alone and sing with all your might. Let your worship be loud today. Okay, pray with me. God, thank you that we have Um, in order in this universe that we have been made special and different and yet we're not anywhere close to your divine counsel and understanding. Thank you for separating us, Lord, in your wisdom. Thank you for teaching us still to even care about us, that you're that far above and that far beyond, but you care intimately about who we are. Um, Lord, in this moment, I pray you would give people strength and courage to put their life in your hands again and again and again if it's for the first time. Lord, may nobody have the apprehension of other people's eyes, but never to compare their shadow and their image back to them, but only to you, God, in this moment. May we be your people that reflect you in each and every decision. 
going forward. That'd be amazing, God, if you were to create revival through this world because people just decided something not so deep and not so mystical, but people just decide that they were going to follow you and you already gave them the power to obey. We love you, God. Your name.